human being mental health. Mm-hmm. That's yes. what it's about. Like, you know, those are like topics that uh, human beings don't want to deal with, you know, because we're all damaged, man, to some degree, some more than others. We're all like damaged. Yeah. <laughs> just save that, the content for the interview, we're just off record. You're about to listen to an interview for EWS. Intending to provide educational information from various domains in psychology, physical exercise or motor learning, an experienced professional joins in the conversation with our founder, assisting EWS mission of building a mindset and methodology that can optimize both sport performance and mental health. Hope you enjoy and for that I leave you with your host Gonçalo Marques. Way and welcome to another EWS interview. On this one, we are listening closely to former heavyweight boxing world champion Michael Bent. I was super glad to have him joining EWS, and before I give you his intro plus the resume of what we've talked about, let me just tell you how I came across with him. In the past days, before I reached out to contact Michael, I was interested in watching some boxing or fighting movies. A hint here, we talk about the nature of these kind of movies more at the end of the interview. Anyway, I came across a beautiful TV series on Netflix called Losers. This series portrays real human examples of failure, difficulty, potential shame and disgrace to promising athletes in their career. However, the gist of it for me comes when they find some resolution from those troubles and hurdles they encountered. The beauty of it comes when the protagonists not only become able to overcome somehow the dark moments, but come more alive and learn from the mishaps they had. I roundly invite you to watch it, and Michael is the protagonist of the first episode there. My favorite, by the way. Again, not dismissing other ones that are very good too. But on this episode, which explores his turbulent life out of the ring, I was moved and touched by it and got very curious to know more about him. I was honored then to receive his interest and approval to go on in an interview with me and I hope it transmits more information and value to you as I expect. So, for his short bio, Michael was born in London to Jamaican parents and at a young age his family moved to the US where he spent his early years in Queens, New York. As I've said before, he is a former WBO World Heavyweight Boxing Champion, winner of four New York City Golden Gloves titles and five more US Amateur titles, and former captain of the US National Boxing Team. Beyond this, he was called by David Finger the most accomplished boxer in the history of American amateur boxing, never to have made the US Olympic boxing team. He competed during five years until 1994 and continued some sparing training afterwards with some big names and for movies, including award-nominated Will Smith. Michael went on and studied journalism and acting, Among other topics, he explored Evander Holyfield's resounding knockout victory of Iron Mike Tyson, which work would eventually appear in the New York Daily News and on the HBO Boxing website. A few years later, Michael penned a famous article called Anatomy of a Knockout. 
As an actor, he has worked with Academy Award nominees Michael Mann and Ron Shelton and award winners Clint Eastwood and Sylvester Stallone. On my privileged conversation with Michael, we went over delicate topics around one's psychology and adaptation in sports with context of high performance. We unraveled several thematics presented in his emblematic episode on losers. And besides that, Michael shares with us some episodes in his boxing times and around that, particularly giving emphasis to his acting and directing experiences. Here, I loved the metaphors and comparisons we came across between the actor's world and the boxer's world. Moreover, we talked about the intricacies of personal value and how one sees oneself as a sportsman, and more extended views again on psychological processes overall. I can't spill out more in this intro, I consider this a very honorable and unique episode by having not just a former world champion, and but overall a man that shows human vulnerabilities with no shame and not afraid, and alongside this, his reflexive thinking and awareness, he shares there what he gained through his journey. So again, I can't emphasize enough how I enjoyed this conversation and how much I invite you to tune in and listen through. And just as a note, I should say that Michael had some connection troubles which impaired the sound quality on his side. However, I made my best to correct that with editing tools. And don't forget, you can jump to the pieces you most like, however, by clicking on the timestamps in the description. Go ahead and hope you enjoy. And well, I could be saying that I'm thrilled to receive this so much accomplished man, but that wouldn't be true. As like him, I'm not moved mainly by victories and the sound recognition that often comes from success. Even so, however, I'm thrilled to receive this guest by his sound humanity, humility, by his poise, by his contributions to the boxing and to the acting world, essentially by his values of openness, vulnerability, compassion and grit. So, welcome to EWS, Michael Bent. Thank you for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to um, be a part of your audience and sharing with you my insights and your insights um, with the people of Portugal. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We'll go through that, through parts of the stories in your journey, uh, but just starting more slowly, uh, just jabbing into it. Let's just um, tell the differences between amateur boxing and pro boxing because I was unfamiliar with that and many of our listeners are also. Yeah. The main difference between amateur and um, professional boxing, well, obviously, like, you know, it's the length of rounds. In the amateurs, um, you do three minutes um, and three rounds. Uh, which is like, you know, um, you know, it's like the nine minute rounds. And then the pros at the elite level, you do 10 rounds of 12 rounds. But I'm a firm believer, but like that, uh, that uh, if you take an amateur boxer and he's um, tutored properly with the right toys, um, he can beat many pros. In the pros, if you're fighting uh, in the Pan Am games and you draw the Cubans, or you draw like you know um, some like uh, some high impact uh, high impact fighter from like you know a good team, you're gonna lose. But in the professional ranks, 
you can you can work your way around that. Mm-hmm. You know, the pros are all about like, you know, who you don't fight. And then the amateurs, you don't have a choice who you fight. So in my estimation, at the elite level, the pros, I mean, the amateurs are much harder than the pros. Yeah, because you yeah, can't yeah. pick and choose who you're going to fight. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So, and clarifying, amateur is not like the real definition of the word there. Uh, many exactly. amateurs can can That's beat right. some pros and uh, it's just another championship, let's say. Right, yeah. right. If you look up the word amateur in the uh, dictionary, it means like, you know, someone who's pursuing something as a hobby. Uh, from my experiences being around like amateur boxers, like great amateur boxers, like Mark Breland, Pernell Whitaker, Evander Holyfield, Terrell Biggs, and other great amateurs, like, you know, those guys weren't like, you know, boxing because it was a hobby. Those guys bought because it was in their blood. They were passionate about it. Mm-hmm. It's not a hobby. Mm-hmm. You know, so the word, like, you know, so, so, like, you know, I'm not really a big fan of the word amateur boxing. Because yeah. at the elite level, like, you know, those guys are pros. They just don't get, like, paid like pros. Yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. That financial you part know? is a big uh, that, uh, gap there yeah, also. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> it. Yep. Yeah. That's what drives, you know, the, uh, uh, not to cut you off, but the financial, um, function of boxing that's what drives professional boxing it sells you know whether like you know you have ollie frazier or or larry holmes versus uh jerry cooney like you know those fights sells because like you know it's it's, it's they're selling something mm-hmm. hatred racism blah 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 you know friendship you know it's mm-hmm. all about selling something mm-hmm. and the american poor like you know the, the uh the global world like you know loves conflict Yeah, man. And uh, moving to you, you had that transition too. We'll go through that. But uh, you spoke also about talent there. And I am curious to know about your views about talent and talent in you. What is it? What was part of your work, of your evolution in boxing? And this touches in a lot of things in the story with your father, um, with your uh, mishaps. But um, yeah, I'll just speak from one of the first scenes on your episode on the Netflix TV series Losers, where you say that you wished for some natural disaster to occur so that you wouldn't enter the ring uh, in that big night. So walk us through that moment in time, please. I mean, it wasn't just one moment. Uh, There were like every time I fought as an amateur, I had the same feeling. But I couldn't admit that, though, because, like, you know, as a boxer, you're supposed to be a warrior and you're supposed to, like, be a man. And, like, I'm like, you know, I couldn't admit that back then. But, like, you know, um, during the, uh, the Netflix documentary, like, you know, every time I, I, I was waiting in the dressing room to go fight somebody, you know, I never knew. You never know, like, you know, if you're going to win or lose, because, like, you know, you know, you can get like, you know, hit by a shot you don't see. And in boxing, like, you know, the shots that hurt you, the punches that hurt you are the ones you don't see. And all I have is two mm-hmm. eyes, <laughs> two hands, and two feet. <laughs> you know, but uh, so I was always like, you know, um, wrecked with uh, with uh, anxiety, man. You know, but like, you know, I had, you know, you have to, as a boxer, you have to put the face on, the face of being a tough guy, mm-hmm. or being invulnerable, yeah. or being confident. I wasn't confident. <laughs> yeah. You know, I trusted my talent. Confidence, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't trust the word confident. I would rather use the word, um, committed i was more yeah i was more committed than confident 
that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And I've also read on your famous article uh, about uh, the emotional impacts and feeling uh, a, a knockout that you point there to. So entering in a more technical side, yeah, being committed and uh, trusting somehow our trainings and being prepared in that defense aspects because I, I, I believe that many athletes, many boxers are on that front side of attacking, of being that tough guy that just throws punches into the other guy and many times they discure uh, that defensive uh, aspects. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I was, uh, to, uh, to touch on that note, I was always uh, like big on, uh, you know, um, my craft. You know, I was always big on like, being around great minds who could who could aug- augment my craft uh, with like you know their insights, uh, training other people, and like you know, and I've been trained by like you know some wonderful great uh, uh, instructors, and they would augment me and like you know challenge me and push me in the right way, you know. So like um, um, if not for people like you know Audie Cintron and Georgie Benton and uh, a few others, man, like, you know, this conversation isn't taking place. There'd be nothing to talk about. If you weren't trained by them, they were oh, yeah. good no, no. leaders. Exactly. And you, you felt that uh, you had that sense of finding what was best for your trainings and what would evolve you in a right and appropriate manner for the next uh, matches? You had that sense or it was being developed somehow externally? I don't, I don't know if I had that sense uh um no one in you know in the boxing culture um identified or put it the that weight to me although like you know um you know certain instructors would like you know would um tell me how how talented i am but like um it wasn't um anything like you know if someone with a great background as a trainer as Georgie Benton, if he tells you something, if he like, you know, gives you a compliment about how you looked uh, sparring uh, the world heavyweight champion, that stays with you. Yeah. You know, that, um, like, you know, and like, you know, he didn't have to tell me that because uh, Georgie Benton, like, you know, he never, well, like, you know, from my observation, like, you know, um, he spoke few words mm-hmm. and uh, he wasn't big on like, you know, like, just like throwing out compliments. Like, you know, that wasn't his thing. He was a quiet leader. And uh, when he said to me, like, you know, um, um, when he gave me the compliment about Spawn with the Van the Holy Film, like, you know, that stayed with me for years. A boost in confidence, right? Yes, that's right. Like, you know, he gave me confidence in the right way. You know, because like, um, um, no one's ever, no one's ever going to be loved the way we want to be loved, right? But Georgie loved me the way I wanted to be loved. Hmm. You know, he loved me the way that my father couldn't. Well, yeah. Does that make sense? Completely. Great fit. A big figure exactly. it was for you in that transition That's... to the pro world and um, re-emerging from a dark side. We, ca- we could go there uh, later on. But just uh, grabbing on that to say that many times people get the sense that in order to excel at anything well to efficiently work in sports one has to love and enjoy all the time what one does but i guess it's not at all 
that all seems simple and maybe you are an exception to that right what are your thoughts on this i don't think i am a, uh, an exception to that alone i just think that like you know the majority of boxes like um you don't recognize like you know um um the value and what they bring like you know you know it's 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 it's, it's complicated you know most yeah, this is a matter of motivation right 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 from my POV, like you know most boxes like you know don't realize um uh how valuable and how and how eclectic they are like you know because like you know just because i'm a boxer doesn't mean i can only box you know i have more than one talent but like you know people who like you know tend to uh, want to keep you in a box mm -hmm. in that community yeah and when you like you know um say that you're more than that People like, you know, well, well, like, you know, if you're more than the boxer, you're not really committed to it. And I've always, like, you know, experienced that. Mm. Such a shame like, no. when that occurs. Oh, well, well, yeah. well, well, like, you know, like, you know, that's like, you know, that's a story of life, though, right? You know? And mm -hmm. and I, I found that, like, you know, the people, like, uh, who, uh, who, uh, who, uh, um, embrace their other areas of like, life? You know, Well, like, the people who try to, like, you know, throw you off your game or undermine you, like, you know, those are the people who um, see you as being more in, more superior than they are. So they try to throw you off your game. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And many, many boxers, are, yeah, are not attuned to that. And if... Uh... If, you are, if they are thinking about something else, they are judged as not uh, that committed, right? And that's, uh, that's the shameful part. Yeah. 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 But like, you know, I've, I've found that like, you know, in, in my uh, um, uh, transition into acting, I mean, like, you know, acting and boxing, it's, a, it's the same concept about commitment. You know, it's the same mm -hmm. muscle. My acting coach would always say about acting and boxing, man, acting and boxing are the same thing, only using a different part of the instrument. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't say that. My acting coach says that. You know, and it, like, you know, that blew my mind, man. It is. Yeah. Like, such you know, a comparison. Every, every, yeah. every, I'm sorry? Yeah, such a big comparison. Yeah, yeah. You know, every, every, every actor whose worth is like, uh, is his, uh, his worth in gold, um, Uh, wants to play a boxer, and every boxer wants to be an actor, right? Mm -hmm. You know, some of the greatest performances, like you know, uh, in this in the uh, history of uh, Hollywood cinema, cinema, cinema. <laughs> let me repeat that line, man. Some of the greatest <laughs> um, performances in the history of uh, Hollywood cinema um, were, were uh, actors portraying boxers. And uh, that touches on another thing that is uh, with boxers, especially, I guess, in this sport, and I want to get your insight into this, is that I imagine that many of them are so much committed in that sense that they are they receive too much pressure, they exert too much. And uh, this this generates an imbalance between the stretch, the challenging ourselves, which is good, of course, but 
the support part gets dismissed, right? And uh, we have to have a balance between this. And I want to know from your experience and from the boxing world what you think about this. Uh, is that the stretching part, the exertion part leads us to more success? Or there are a majority of them that get into burnout or uh, the passion goes off down? Well, you know, um, I'm glad you raised that uh, that subject because, like, in the sport of boxing, like, you know, uh, burnout is is one of the, the uh, most dangerous thing that can. Well, is burnout is one of the uh, most common things that can derail a boxer. You know, um, and it's not like you know because he had like you know 89,000 fights like in a week. It's because like you know his mental, his like emotional burnout. You know what he's thinking of. Um, how he's thinking of like, you know, um, trying to impress this person and that person and that person, trying to please this person and that person. You can't please but one person. You should please yourself. Mm -hmm. So much. You know what I mean? You know, I'm not, you know, I don't, you know, because uh, like, you know, in a sport like boxing, like, you know, um, you have to be selfish. And selfish, like, you know, in society is, is a bad word, but it's not. Yeah. You know, it means like, you know, selfish, selfish, Selfish simply means like I have a sense of myself. I have a yeah. sense of self. <laughs> and, you know, Muhammad Ali was selfish. He had a sense of self. Yeah. You know, all the that great a... um, athletes or like, yeah. Yeah, just going along with that, uh, that's not to be seen as a pejorative term. And uh, that touches uh, in the point of um, doing the thing motivated more intrinsically. And getting on to you again, uh, you spoke openly about this, that you hated somehow yeah. boxing because you were not moved by some passion. You were indoctrinated by your father. And that's the right. sad part of your story. But with some golden gems, I guess we can go alongside that. And uh, yeah, just yeah. bringing on the point of uh, your first punches in bo in the boxing Uh, and what you didn't like, I would like to hear about that. Uh, you you heard your father tell you that he didn't care at all about your. You said like you know I boxed to uh, make my make my father feel happy. You know my father um, uh, lived uh, vicariously through me. You know he was a boxer as well, um, but um, uh, you know I I fought like you know maybe like. My first fight at, at uh, maybe like 10 years old, nine years old, and uh, I got beat. And, you know, I, I didn't like, you know, getting beat in front of people who I didn't know. You know, hundreds of people like clapping, like, you know, every time I get hit. I'm like, you know, you know, I had a problem with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Sure. Who likes to get hit in front of people? Right. Like, you know, it's bad enough, like, you know, that uh, my father was beating me. So I have to like, you know, get hit again in front of people, strangers, I don't know. And, and, and like, you know, they're clapping every time I get hit. You know, I, <laughs> I didn't get that. Yeah. I didn't get that. Like, you know, you know, I got it, but I was in conflict with it. That was part of my next question, because I would like to know from you that in your childhood, in your teenage years, did you find that problematic? Or was something that somehow was affectionately attaching you to him, your father? No, no. You know, I can't, I can't, you know, some, 
there are some of us human beings who like you know who find violence as a uh, sort uh, a source of um of validation mm-hmm. you know if if you smack your wife if you smack your son blah 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 if you smack your daughter blah 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 like you know when she said when they don't deserve it like you know um in some cultures like you know that that means like the father like you know a mother loves you I can't I, I, I never like you know I never saw it like that if you love me why would you like you if you loved me why would you want me to experience pain wait excuse me before you continue on for the episode I will just ask you for a review This is a common request, I know, and I imagine it can be tedious to do so, to divert now, and I am aware you as a listener just want to grow through. However, if you do so on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, it makes an important contribution for EWS growth and for us to keep providing relevant contents for you to actualize your sports practice and mental game. And also for me to be able to continue to bring in great guests. Moreover, each month we randomly select their two winners to receive exclusive material that will assist them reaching their full sporting potential. Also, it is important for me to hear your feedback, so head over there please, the links are in the description as always alongside with the timestamps. See ya! Uh, what is that definition of love when it is conditional, right? He was conditioning you. He was just approving you when you were successful and uh, doing the things he wished. That's why you say he was trying to live vicariously through you. And that's why I get exactly. a big feeling of the importance of this conversation. It's for parents also. It's not yeah. just for athletes or coaches. Yes. In whatever sport. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, mom and dad, like, you know, let's, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's challenging because like, you know, Typically, the parents of children, well, typically parents who abuse their children, they come from abusive backgrounds themselves, right? But they can't admit that. Mm-hmm. So if I can't, if I can't admit something, of course, um, it's going to like you know, it's going to like you know, fester and fester and fester, and at some point, it's going to explode. And who does it typically explode at? The children, right? You know, I don't think my father's thing, like, you know, my father's thing may have been about, like, you know, he wanted his son to be a champion, boxer, blah, blah, blah. But I think, like, you know, to go more deeper, I think he wanted to uh, be, like, uh, um, perched up as as, 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 as an example of, um, of success to people from his community. He's Jamaican, mm-hmm. right? And I, like, you know, and I get it completely. I empathize with him now. Mm-hmm. I can empathize with him now. You know, but um, uh, I think like, you know, uh, you know, um, when parents uh, live vicariously through their children, it's not about the children, it's about them. Yeah, yeah. He could care less about me back then, you know, and maybe he could care less about me now. I don't care. You know, that's, you know, you know I got to deal with that. But uh, as, as, as a 14-year-old, I remember like, you know, uh, I stopped boxing. Well, you saw us in the documentary. I stopped boxing and... You know, I went home and told him, and he gave me a beating, right? He beat me. Now, today, like, you know, that's child abuse, right? Mm-hmm. You know, today. But, like, uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that's that's not child abuse, man. That's how you discipline your son. Yeah. Really? Okay. So, but, uh, 
<laughs> right? Okay. Look, look, I have a 15-year-old son, and I remember one time, um, you know, he was he was maybe like 13 years old, and like he was he was he was being very mouthy, you know, disrespectful. And uh, I I took him inside of his room, and I asked him like, you know, why are we being so uh, disrespectful? And he gave me some small ass number, and I smacked him. Right? What happened after that? He started crying, man. He's 13. Like, you know, he's trying to, like, you know, find his way through the world like I am. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, just an impulse, a tendency, maybe unconscious by, by you. But, like, no, it was, it was anger, right? And what, like, you know, what um, um, anger, yeah, the subtext of anger is disappointment. I was disappointed at because he was being a wise guy. But, like, he's 13 years old, like, you know, and 13-year-olds, like, they're wise guys. <laughs> I, I get it. Mm -hmm. You know, but, like, you know, I shouldn't have smacked them. Like, you know, and it, like, you know, I, saw, I started crying. Man. I said, my man, look, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In that moment? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. In that then... moment. Yep. I said, I said, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have smacked you. I shouldn't have smacked you. Hugged mm -hmm. him. Gave him a kiss on the cheek. I said, no, I'm sorry, man. You know, the greatest gift that my father gave me was how not to treat my son. Yeah. You get it? Yeah. You inversely got the lesson happily well I, well happily, well if i can <laughs> say that yeah 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 of course yeah <laughs> what i'm really happy about is that like you know i know that my father was at effect of some serious demons right you know and i know that like you know i have the capacity to be at effect of serious demons myself but not his demons like mm. you know that's his stuff not my stuff i have my own stuff yeah I'm conscious of like, you know, I'm very conscious mm -hmm. of like, you know, mm -hmm. of my own stuff. Very conscious. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, got, I got that sense. And that's also a reason why I got into you in that big message inviting you to EWS. Because yes. uh, I got the sense that you were open and always curious to uh, actualize yourself and uh, recognize what are the, some internal processes, whether it be thoughts or emotions that are more unadaptive for the circumstances at hand. I really appreciate yes. that, Michael. Thank you. That's an element or function that we all have. We just like, you know, we just like, you know, need someone to, uh, from time to time say, hey, listen, it's okay to admit that. It's, so, mm -hmm. it's okay to struggle with that. It's okay. Mm -hmm. We all struggle with it. Yeah. You know, but when we don't admit it, that's when like, you know, things fester. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, like say like, you know, If you've been diagnosed with cancer and you say, like, you know, uh, I'm not going to, like, you know, bother with it, it festers, right? Some people, like, you know, a lot of us have been diagnosed, like, you know, or self-diagnosed or undiagnosed with, like, you know, with rage. And it comes from, like, like mom and dad, typically. Typically it comes from mom and dad or society. Mom and dad society, like, you know, because mom and dad, like, you know, is, is, is a member of society. And sometimes society stinks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes life stinks, you know. Once again, like you know, my father's childhood it stunk. You know, his father took him out of school when he was like 12 years old, and my father was like, you know, a functional illiterate. He couldn't read or write, you know. And um, um, you know, so like you know, I think his his one thing was like proving that like he had value in this world. So he wanted to have his son, you know, be this little mascot. Far from being the, from being a right way to educate and yeah go along with life, 
And this opens up the space to the world of psychotherapy that I am a big, I have a big passion and I get the sense it's very important for these kind of uh, situations and stories because one can look inside oneself, one can uh, see things that were outside of our sight and we have yes. re we can regain more control of our life and uh, that's another aspect that you point out uh, that yes. you regain more control and i ask yes. you about that process and if you uh, have been in some kind of therapy before oh, absolutely uh the first time that i um i sat across from a therapist um wow was probably when I was, I came to this country when I was five and a half, and my mother and father, they were still together uh, at that point. And, you know, um, you know, I had witnessed like, you know, some violence at the hands of my mother, uh, at the hands of my like, you know, father or my mother, you know, so like, you know, I was um, diagnosed with, well, not, well, I don't remember if I was diagnosed, but like, you know, I do recall visiting a therapist when I was like, maybe like, wow seven years old mm. eight years Very old young. yeah 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 so like you know um yeah and then uh years later i uh was lucky enough to uh, have a boxing manager his name was mel goldberg and mel um had the great insights to assign me to go see a uh a sports psychologist mm -hmm. when i was training in uh in clearwater florida and that like you know opened me up but prior to that I was a member of the uh, USA boxing team. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, during the, uh, you familiar with the, uh, the period of Glasnost with Russia and the United States, I had this like, you know, period of like, you know, of understanding and seeking to like, you know, um, uh, uh, come to terms on certain issues um, around the uh, sports field. Mm -hmm. So they would send like, you know, a team of athletes over to the USSR to study, like an exchange. And then the USSR would send a team of, uh, of uh, 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 psychologists or like, you know, athletes over to the United States. And when I was living in the, uh, at, the, uh, at the United States uh, Olympic Center in Colorado Springs, when I was visiting there, um, or living there, um, I was introduced to a, uh, a Russian, he was a Soviet um, uh, sports psychologist, like, I've never heard of, like you know, of a sports psychologist in my life up to that point. Mm -hmm. To that point, in which year, like, more like, or less? This was wow. This is like oh boy. <laughs> okay, all right. This is like maybe 1990, 90, 95. Uh -huh. Yeah, ninety five. Yeah, ninety five, ninety six. Very early on, on the field. Very early years. And I, I ask you, what more? What more did you gain from there, personally? Oh. Okay, so like, you know, so um, this, uh, this uh, Russian Soviet psychologist, he, um, he would separate uh, the boxing team because like, you know, our boxing team was like you know, a 12-man team and he would separate the boxing team, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. And he would like uh, talk to each of us like, you know, by ourselves um, for like a half hour or an hour. And uh, he would ask me like, you know, what is... Uh, how do you feel to, right before you go into the ring? And, and uh, what do you expect to happen when you go into the ring? Those are really personal questions for a boxer. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, no one like, you know, gave me a, uh, uh, no one ever asked me about like, you know, how I felt or prior to going to the ring or not. So that like, it kind of clicked with me. And um, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, remain in contact with him, but like, uh, I've always remembered the, the, those experiences with him, just talking to him about like, you know, anxiety. And like, you know, this is like, you know, um, the first time I heard the word anxiety was from Victor, this, this like, you know, Soviet USSR, like, you know, psychotherapist, like who was on an exchange with the USA. Anxiety, what the hell is anxiety? What's that? I didn't know what it was. Well, what you just heard was something probably easy to understand. But to assimilate this or put it into practice is a harder task for sure. At EWS we aim to translate the theory and mental principles into practice the best way possible. But it all comes down to you. Take a moment to really reflect. Is this good for me? What can I do today to implement it? Again, the keyword practice. How can you translate this into practice? Practice it and go ahead. Keep enjoying the process of efficiently working sports. Yeah. So overall, do you get the sense that it was from there that you get more open to explore your internal world and get more well, knowledge? Well, like you know, again. Well, you know, I was I was always like you know a uh, uh, a big reader, man. Like you know, you know, and I was traveling. Like I, I would, <laughs> I would have boxing gloves and like and books, like you know, right. uh, in my suitcase, man. So um, Victor probably sparked. Um, it was it was subconscious though. Victor probably sparked like you know my interest in because like you know I'm I'm like psychotherapy and therapy like you know fascinates me as well, um, which is why like you know probably. Which is what led me towards acting, because like you know, as an actor, you have to dive into and deep uh, uh, and expose, or like you know, do heart surgery on uh, a character you're playing. You uh, know what I mean? Yeah. When I say heart surgery, like I don't mean like you know, heart, I mean like you know, try to figure out metaphorically what yeah. this character is going through. Uh -huh. You know, and, um, and I think that's probably like you know, pr uh, Victor probably added to my um, interest in that um, in that field. Yeah. I just like, you know, never thought that um, I would uh, be able to do it in terms of, um, you know, on a, on a uh, professional level. Yeah. Let us go back to your first fight in the pro world on your knockout. Um, write us along that episode and then I will prompt you with a question. Okay. Um, well, the reason why, like, you know... Uh, even before we get to my transition into the pro world, like, you know, the only reason why I turned professional was because, like, you know, I wanted to get out of my father's house. Because I knew something would happen at some point. You know, I was getting bigger. He was like, you know, like, you know, and the bigger I got, like, the more, you know, uh, resentful and uh, combative he got, you know. Um, you know, because men, like, you know, we love to protect our space. And like, you know, when, you know, my father, like, you know, he wasn't a rich man. So he was always like, you know, in in protecting his space mode, you know, in, mm -hmm. in protecting like, you know, in making sure like, you know, um, that like, you know, all of that space was like, you know, in his full um, dominance, which I get completely. It's like he honed the house and he honed you. Mm -hmm. 
that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. And you find you found a reason. Uh, you found a way uh, coming into the pro world of detach from that. Do you have the strength well, to to counteract that? Well, when you say detach from it, like you know, the only way that um, I got a, uh, I got detached from like you know those those energies was through acting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, not through boxing. Because, like, you know, as a boxer, like, you know, even though, even though, like, you know, uh, Emmanuel Stewart signed me to a nice contract and I was able to leave my father's house, I was still at effect of those energies. Yeah. Right? I, I was still at effect of, like, you know, why I left. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a complete whole resolution inside of you. No, no, yeah. it wasn't. No, it was not. Then, of course, I thought it was. Uh-huh. You know? Because, like, you know, this, when you leave a physical place and you, like, you know, travel, like, maybe five or six states away, you think, like, you know, all your all your troubles, like, you know, are over. But, like, you know, the energy stays with you. Uh -huh. And unless you, right? <laughs> and unless you, you know, um, can articulate that with someone, like, you know, who may be able to speak on those terms, you're, like, you know, you're still swimming in that dark pool. And just out of curiosity for the people who are not seeing it, you have a cloud beside, behind you in the shape of a heart uh, that pretty much fits with this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> just right above your head. What? <laughs> I just saw it, man. I, well, that's, that's, that's okay. Well, like, you know, um, we'll take it. Whoever's yeah. sending it, thank you. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah, but going along, you went for your first fight as a pro, and mm. you got knocked yep. out. What yes. uh, went from there? Oh boy, um, that was probably one of my biggest moments of uh, of depression. Although, like you know, I've always been depressed my whole life. I didn't know why. You know, um, well, I mean, like you know, I found out why uh, maybe like five, six years ago. But like, uh, but I will, I've always been depressed. I've always been like, you know, um, um, suicidal, you know, I've always had thoughts of suicide, you know, since, uh, I remember the first time that, um, I thought about killing myself, I was maybe, what, uh, maybe eight or nine. And I had an older brother, like, and he was like, you know, you know, he's my older brother. So he's like, you know, he's, he's six years older than me. You know, so I felt like I was being picked on and I went upstairs to the closet and whatnot and I, I looked up and I thought about like, you know, what about if I hang myself? I didn't know like, you know, what hanging was, but like, you know, I knew like, you know, that, that there was a bar up there. What about if I like hang myself? And I don't think like, you know, I don't think that uh, those thoughts are that uncommon with human beings. I just think that we don't admit that we've like, you know, gone through that because like, you know, a man has to be barrel and 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 like you and know prime and, yeah. that's right and, and and manly and like you know and invincible i'm not those things yeah and many times it uh, goes along with uh, beliefs like uh, if i share that i'm very sad then i will lose my job i am weak i i cannot do this i have to be strong and being strong is just putting this sadness aside and focus on the tasks at hand. But yes. uh, 
as yes. we are talking about here, as with many other processes, the sadness then will go and build up in in another time and fields. Uh, yeah, it's uh, very important to look into that. And uh, I know you you you're an advocate to to that openness and embracing our vulnerabilities. Mm. That's it. That's it. And like you know, embracing them and like you know, and letting like you know, others know that it's perfectly okay. Like to know, you know to express that mm -hmm. because trust me, the guy that you're afraid of, he just is like afraid of you. <laughs> so good. Can you deconstruct more of that? Well, you know, men are taught to be you know tough guys. Like you know, hold your chin up in the air. Like you know, like you know, like show your muscles. Blah blah blah. Like that's 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 nonsense, man. Like you know, if like you know, the most um the most powerful man I've ever met in my life, intellectually, psychologically, um, emotionally, was my acting coach, hmm. Rick Edelstein. This guy was like a ninety. He was a uh, I met Rick when he was like in his late seventies. And this guy was like a Jewish cat from the Bronx. And this guy was completely like fearless and a genius mind. You know, he studied with like uh, with uh, um, the actor's studio back in the days. And like, you know, the guy was like, he was, he was fearless and he was honest to a T. You know, if you went, if you went to Rick's class to do an acting exercise and you worked up uh, and you weren't like, you know, prepared, he said, just, just, just get out of my class. Just, just leave. You're wasting my time because if you're not going to put the work in i'm not going to put the work in for you mm -hmm. you know and i can and i and i got that mm -hmm. i relate to that like you know, on some level yeah yeah so like you know like you know, and rick like you know rick wasn't the big guy like you know size like physical size is like you know that's a that's a, that's a trope man mm -hmm. that's a that's a that's a trap people believe yeah. that size is power now uh -uh. no no it's not and let's clarify something, because I guess many people, when hearing this, uh, may confound the being open and uh, uh, embrace our vulnerabilities. It's not like in a pity, pitiful manner. It's not no, like we are no, 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 blaming no. this or that or criticizing over ourselves and right. asking right. for compassion for people. That could be a, a byproduct, but yeah, just be sincere, just uh, be open That's and uh, embrace that. Because when you recognize that as a part of you, as a, uh, a viable, as a human valid uh, frailty, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. it. That's the That's way. It. That's it. That's it, man. Like you know, and like and, and when I found like you know that because uh, when I found that I was allowed to express these things, these things as an actor, I'm like holy shit, this is it. This is what I've been looking for my whole life. Hmm. You know, I first started out as a writer, and then um, you know I went out to LA and, and, and like you know and, and started acting, man. But so well, I actually started acting when I went back to um, after I lost my last fight to Herbie Hyde in London. Um, maybe about oh boy, maybe about a year and a half later, I enrolled myself in a uh, community college where I was living at the time in Pennsylvania, and um, I took an acting class as as a, as an elective. And it completely blew my mind. Completely blew my mind. Of course, I was older than the average student. Like you know, I was like maybe like in my uh, early 30s, late 20s, and uh, the uh, typical student's age was like maybe like 17, 18 years old. You know, so I got what the acting code was talking about. And I had like you know those experiences like you know, a betrayal, of uh, betraying someone else, 
of 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 love, hate, blah blah blah. I had those experiences with. So I think that's what that's what made me connect to the to the the acting scene um, uh, more than um, the other um, students in the acting class at that time. But when I went out when I went out to LA with a uh, study with Rick Elstein, man, whew, boy, this, this, this guy was like, it's like, that was like taking a, taking a, uh, a class in PhD about life, man. So good. Let's bring some contrast into this, bringing us back to the moment where you got very, uh, Jerry Jones. ashamed and, uh, okay, uh yes. humiliated after that Kyo on your, so you got into depression, as you said, and uh, we could say we can imagine that it would be easy and it would be easy for any given person to develop resentment regret of course um, of course That's but right. looking back um would you wish it all to be different or because uh, the point is we i i guess we both assume that that is not inevitable it's not a deterministic fashion uh, to be in that stuckness, right? I mean, we can choose to not look at it as a reason for one's life to be stuck somehow, for us to be lost. Um, how do you approach this personally nowadays? Yeah. Uh, well, how do I approach um, that moment? Uh, 1989, it was February 19th, 1989, that I got knocked out by Jerry Jones. And um, Jerry Jones and I are very good friends like this day. Herbie Hyde and I are very good friends this day. So, like, you know, that that speaks to the value of losing and it speaks to the value of of, uh, of being a warrior in life, man. Because, like, you know, just because, like, I hate you. Like, at one point, I hated Herbie Hyde. Yeah. And just, sorry, sorry, just as a side note, her, for those who don't know, Herbie Hyde was the man that beat you out in your first title defense of the World Heavyweight Championship, yeah. Yes, sorry and about put that. You, yeah. And put you in uh, in induced coma. We could go for that also. But continuing yes. on, you nowadays are friends with him. Yes, like, you know, uh, we have these great conversations, like, you know, and I think, like, you know, those conversations are the results of um, circumstances that only someone who fights someone when they're half naked, because when you're a boxer, you're naked in the ring. You may have chunks on, but you're naked in the ring. And I think the uh, the appreciation that Herbie and I, that Jerry and I have for each other can only exist when we've uh, been on that big stage naked and exposed. <laughs> and I got exposed. But like, you know, I'm thankful for those experiences. What was the point that, that you realized that and you got more together? Well, I think, I think um, my um, uh, development, like, you know, and then, and, and, inner conversation with myself, I think that started when I started writing. Because when you write things like, you know, when, because like, you know, when you're a boxer, um, you're allowed to do things that like, you know, typically will uh, land you in jail, right? When you punch someone as a civilian, you, you're going to jail. When you, but when you punch someone as a, a boxer, it's, it's, it's applauded, right? It's uh, it's um, it's uh, it's um, it's worthy. Yeah. And I, you know, I never, you know, I got that um, that uh, that um, it's it's conflicting, you know. But like, uh, I found that that uh, that um, all of those 
bits of uh, conflict, man. Like, you know, they, um, they helped me to like, you know, dig into who I am as a human being. And like, you know, help me dig into like, you know, um, my, uh, my uniqueness, uh, uh, you know, uh, lack of a better word, you know, you, you know, no one's, no one's like me. No one's like you. No one's like anyone else. But like, you know, we have to have the, the, uh, the courage to like, you know, dig into who we are, dig into our, our unique selves. And I don't have a problem with that. And when I wrote my first piece, um, uh, this was, wow, maybe 1994, 95, I wrote this piece on a friend of mine who was a boxer. And he was coming back from like, you know, the feet of his last fight. And I asked um, this uh, prominent writer, his name was Michael Katz. If, uh, if I wrote something about this fighter, if he would run it in his uh, newspaper, he wrote for the, he wrote for the uh, Daily News. And he said, yeah, Mike, like, you know, if you write the thing, like, and it's good, no promises, I'll run it for you. And I wrote this thing up, man, I was as honest as I could be because I've been there. You know, I've been like, you know, on the, uh, on the, uh, the precipice of like, you know, doubt and, and, and uh, not overcoming stuff and like having people like, you know, um, undermine you or say you're nothing but a bum. I've been there. And I wrote this piece uh, about a friend of mine uh, who's coming back from a, uh, uh, a loss and uh, Michael Castle, like, you know, he ran the piece and that's what started me like, you know, on this journey of writing. And I said, like, you know, I got something here, man. I, I got something here like, you know, that only I can do and like, you know, and, and the, although like, you know, um, people write about boxing, they haven't experienced it. I don't, I don't write about things I don't like, I haven't experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael, let me put you on the spot now uh, because I know you're a superb example of perseverance. And, um, well, I, I don't like to ask for uh, advice, specific advice, right. because of the intricacies right. and idiosyncrasies and the particular stories of each one's life. Uh, but anyway, I would like to ask you what you, would you say to a person that is entangled on this sort of stuckness due to his life story or his family issues and just in order to lift his head up and find other alternatives, new ways? Oh, well, well, man, um, I would say to them, uh, he or she, keep pursuing your passion. Don't let anybody tell you, like, you know, that you're not talented. Because, like, passion... In my estimation, outdoes talent. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you can learn talent. You can't learn passion. Mm -hmm. And in whatever circumstances, what you're saying is that we could carve our way into our passion. Yeah. Ab sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, it's going to be challenging mm -hmm. because like, you know, the majority of people are told no more times they're told yes. But if you're lucky, you know, what's luck? To me, luck is, is where preparation meets opportunity hey you athlete student or worker of some kind we want to know real cases so tell us from what you've heard what have you been missing out what is one idea that popped into your mind while listening feel free to share in the comments so we can assist you further see ya Many people would have think that Tommy Morrison was better than you, but uh, I heard you say, and I would like to point to this, you said that luck is when preparation meets opportunity, and the opportunity was given by your previous wins and by Hoffman, 
and uh, yes. the preparation was in your hours and hours of seeing uh, Morrison's tapes, and I w found that absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, that preparation like was done while I was an amateur sparring Evander Holyfield as a professional. You know, when you're like, you know, when you have the uh, the courage and the luck to be in the midst of like, you know, those um, circumstances. And trust me, those circumstances were uncomfortable. But those uh, uncomfortable circumstances served as as uh, as a reveal of who I was. Hmm. You know what I mean? I was very. I am very curious to know about that because uh, one might think that that would all be reasons for get you down because you on that time It after uh, no not finding any trainers and opportunities to fight and uh, rebuild yourself yes. you were very down how did you felt in that time how did you overcome that obstacle uh, i know the importance of stan hoffman but uh, meanwhile what uh, went through there well i met stan hoffman like you know later on in my pro career uh i think i think uh The key person, um, um, after my uh, loss to Jerry Jones, I retired while I retired. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't box for 22 months because I was afraid of getting exposed again, whether it was in sparring or just like regular fight. I was afraid, right? And I had a friend, a good friend of mine, who I'm still good friends with to this day. His name, his name is Paul Fucolaro. And Paul was, is like a boxing guy. He was a manager of several professionals uh, back in the days. And um, this is like when I was, I got a job at a uh, Long Island Jewish hospital. And, uh, you know, so that was, what, that was what I was doing post the uh, Jerry Jones fight. Because once again, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed and ashamed and scared of getting hurt again. And I was, ex and I was afraid of um, getting exposed again. Exposed, uh, whether physically speaking and uh, emotionally speaking in the public world? Public opinion. Well, well, yeah, like you know, when the boxer gets exposed, like physically, he gets exposed emotionally. You don't see that though. All we see is him getting knocked out. But like you know, we don't see the damages of of, of what like exposure can do to a boxer because like you know, no one cares about that. You know what I mean? Like you know, it's been depicted in a few films. You know, like Raging Bull. Like you know, when uh, when the uh, um, Jake Lamont's character loses, like you know. Like you know, it, you know, they go through like plummets, man, depression. But like, uh, no one talks about that. But in terms of like, you know, uh, um, people like, uh, you have to have allies in life. Period. And one of my greatest allies was a guy named uh, Paul Fucolaro. And I'm I'm working at this uh, hospital, you know, and I loved the experience. But I also knew that like, you know, I didn't belong there, working in the hospital. But you were doing what exactly? You were volunteering? I or? was, um, I was, no, no, no. I, was, I wasn't volunteering at all. Like, you know, I was making, like, I was making money. I was, um, there's a part of the American, like, you know, medical hospital um, community that uh, is called a central sterile. And that's where, like, my job was to sterilize the instruments that, uh, okay. that surgeons use on, like, during surgery. Um, you know, I was good at it. And once again, like, you know, I love the people, like, you know, while I worked with, like, you know, from time to time, I'd hear a voice saying, you don't belong here, man. It's not where you belong, you know. Um, but uh, so during that time, I got a phone call from a friend of mine, you know, Paul Fucolaro. And Paul said, like, you know, Mickey Duff, Mickey Duff was a famous um, boxing promoter from the UK. 
he said that Mickey Duck wanted to hire me as a sparring partner for number five contender in the world, Gary Mason, uh, because Gary was training in, in America. And uh, Gary was from London as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kept like tap dancing and saying like, you know what, Paulie, like, I, I, you know, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't remember if I said I don't want to do that outright, but I was making excuses. Mixed feelings there. Go, not to go. That, well, like, you know, no, no, I didn't have mixed feelings. Like, I, like, I was scared. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, you know, no, I'm, you know, I'm not doing that. I have a job in a hospital. Like, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. And um, so we like, you know, Paulie kept like kept calling me and calling me. And then like uh, at one point, um, I remember being in the hospital, that voice of like, maybe my uh, subconscious uh, said to me, man, you don't belong here, man. So I remember that day, like, you know, I, um, I went to the, um, went to see my boss. She was a woman. And I said, look, thank you for the opportunity for working here. But like, you know, I got to go. And I just like, you know, left. I called Paulie. Said, look, Paul, like, you know, let's set this thing up with Mickey Duff and Gary Mason. So the next week or so, I flew to um, Clearwater, Florida, which was where the Gary Mason camp was. And I started sparring with Gary Mason, number five contender. And at one point, like, you know, Gary and I became good friends. And at one point, I asked Gary, you know, when we spar, do you take it easy on me? Because I was really, really like, you know, doing well with him. Uh-huh. And uh, he says, no. I don't take it easy on you. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. Cool. So like, you know, so like here. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's like, you know, that was a nice way of like, you know, like oiling of oiling my comp. Yeah. Yeah. Got you inspired again. Exactly. And a few years later, um, I get a call to be the sparring partner for Evander Holyfield. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, after the knockout loss to Jerry Jones, I had some, I had something to prove. You know, after I got knocked out by Jerry Jones, because like, you know, being this five-time national champion, four-time sure. Gongo's champion, you know, I was like a big deal. And when you get knocked out in your first pro fight in the first round, people yeah. regard you as garbage, right? <laughs> But then, then you heard George Benton during the training say... Okay, so I'm sparring. We're maybe in the, in the camp at this point, maybe like maybe a month. And uh, George, you know, like, like, you know, we were like... Um, He was like a mentor to me. I'm starting a band like, you know, maybe a month in camp. And one day we have an off day. And I went to a bookstore and I come back in the hotel. And I see Georgie Benton across the hotel lobby. He's at a bar. And he waves me over to him. <laughs> and he says to me, he says to me, God damn, baby cakes. Uh, when you fuck around and smile with Evander, I can't tell who the champion is. Mm. And to get that kind of Like, you know, excuse the, excuse the F-bomb. Excuse the cursing, man. But, like, that's what Georgie said to me. <laughs> sure. And that was the biggest compliment I've ever received as a boxer. Coming from him, this guy is a, was a master trainer. The most insightful trainer that I've ever been around. Uh-huh. And for him to tell me that, that's just, okay. Okay, I got something. Uh-huh. And uh, when I went in to, um, to fight Tommy Morrison... What Georgie Benton sent to me was like, you know, was carved inside my head, man. Was carved inside my head. And uh, just getting back a little, when you worked in the on the hospital, you, it was during your self-loading period, or it was after that? It was myself. Uh, your low period, your self-loading yes. period. Oh, 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 absolutely, yes. Uh, what where I want to go with this uh, is looking to that. Uh, 
humiliation phase and uh, I assume that within you you lost those things with that defeat in that time you 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 were no validated at all uh, you have no respect from others so your self-worth was very low and uh, you realize that you comment on this on the on the losers episode uh I think I did but like you know the episode we shot like you know maybe wow we shot like uh, a lot of hours of footage but like you know of course during a documentary like you could only you can only use but so much uh, material. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That's why I want to to unravel this a little bit more, and uh, I I want to ask you that. Well, you say there that you were just doing those that drinking and the light nightlife as ways to soothe a damaged person, and I guess Absolutely. that this is kind of an insight. But what at what point did you realize that it was was it during was it after? Uh, oh no 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 I like you know well like once again like you know. I had, I don't think I had an inkling of what, like, you know, I was at effect of, because, like, you know, if, if, if I box and I know my damages, I know the damages that drive me, you can use that as a boxer, but, like, you know, me yeah. personally, if, if, if I was at the point where, like, you know, I, could, I could identify my demons, I'm not boxing anymore. Hmm. But the demons that, that, that drove me to fight again um, was that I had something to prove. Yeah, you know, right. um, I had something to uh, to validate, you know, and um, and those experiences with uh, with Georgie Benton and the band of Holyfield and like you know and Tommy Morrison like and even Herbie Hyde spoke uh, profoundly to me about like you know validation, man. Whether you win or lose, if that makes sense, because like you know I'm a firm believer that uh, no one can truly um, win something unless you lose first. Sorry again, please. I said, like, you know, no one can truly win something unless we lose first. Like, winning, like, you know, doesn't mean, like, you're not going to lose. And losing means you're not going to win. So much that. Uh, from one point, uh, I see that you got back onto the rings and fighting again, rebuilding your career. And was it by the inspiration you got from these guys as well as some internal realization of these psychological stuff that we are talking about this was this realization a fundamental thing to get you off that lifestyle that mediocre lifestyle you know i was doing a lot of drinking you know it's weird because i would always um stay in shape mm -hmm. so even if like you know i was out drinking womanizing blah 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 i would get up the next morning like and, and do five miles so i guess subconsciously i knew that i have something to prove that wasn't done yet subconsciously because like you know i had a i had this great amateur career and i had all these um expectations right and what are expectations expectations like you know are what other people like you know, push on you. Uh -huh. and because like you know i grew up in the environment where my father pushed his own expectations on me i somewhat knew how to deal with it and somewhat didn't you know it, it's dark but I allow myself, like, you know, I, I don't know where I got it from. You know, I, I allow myself to, like, you know, to uh, to uh, investigate the, uh, those damages, man. Like, you know, and I said, you know what, uh, this is this is this is something that um, I'm not done with yet. But I'll share something else with you. Um, after I beat Tommy Morrison, I remember doing an interview in the UK, in London, and uh, <laughs> I told this interviewer, I forget who it was, I told him that my time as a champion 
is going to be very minute, man. It's not going to be long. I knew that. I'm curious about that also, yeah. That uh, it's a big accomplishment. You get to the top of the world in your field, but... Well, for me, um, yeah, it's a big deal, big accomplishment, like, you know, accolades, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I didn't trust it. Because, once again, the way that I was introduced to the sport, you know, um, by my father, that uh, that was still dangling. Uh, that was still part of my uh, psychological makeup. I didn't trust you know, I didn't trust him, and I didn't trust boxing. There are very few people who, in the boxing game who I trusted. One was Paul Pucolaro. One was Georgie Benton. One was Artie Cintron. Uh, but very few people like who I trusted, like you know, in the game, even though I, even though I was friends with, you know, because like you know, I knew that like you know the people in that in that culture they have a certain way of thinking, and I can align my thinking with their thinking, but like you know, I'd much rather not. But I can do it, and that's uh, that's those are one of the things that uh, what made me like you know keep coming back to the sport was that uh, I knew I wasn't done with it yet. I knew I had more to prove. And fighting Tommy, like, you know, gave me the opportunity to, like, prove, like, you know, not prove, but validate um, who I was. And uh, subsequently, like, you know, even the, uh, the Herbie Hyde fight, as I mentioned, like, you know, earlier, like, you know, that was validation of who I was. Because, like, you know, fighters win and fighters lose. I'm not, you know, I wasn't the greatest, like, you know, professional fighter. I just got lucky. Yeah. And once you entered and once you get the sense that you could reach the top, you fought for it, right? But it's like you were still moved by that uh, uh, need for uh, validation somehow. Something else. You have something right. to prove more than pleasure and feeling uh, accomplished internally, realized with the practice of it. It was uh, something more externally, may I say. Uh, it was like you were in a rat race. Uh, I don't know if that's the term still going after the, the, That's a good term. That's a good term. Yeah. Because, like, you know, it's, it's, it's very competitive, you know, that, uh, that, uh, that culture. As is, like, you know, as is the acting culture. But, like, you know, the acting culture speaks more to who I am as a human being. You know, I'm just like, you know, I'm not just some guy who, who can um, throw punches and, like, you know, take punches for the enjoyment of other people. You know, let me like you know. Let me like you know. Uh, uh, um, move you with um, my words and feelings. Let me do that. Which is what which is what boxers also do. As a matter of fact, because like you know, if you're a Manny Pacquiao fan, if you're a Muhammad fan, like you know, and Muhammad Ali wins a fight, he shouldn't win. That he's gonna move you with that, right? It's emotional. You know, and like that's what like, you know that's what actors do every day, and that speaks to. Me. And moving from this to a delicate one, uh, it could be a hard thing to grasp um, because despite your passion for acting, writing and directing that surely have their understandable reasons uh, and you can speak a little bit more about that, but do you think that you are moved into doing that still energized by that need of validation or some sort Absolutely. of recognition Absolutely. of you as a person? Absolutely. Huh. Yes, absolutely. Like you know, every 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 person wants to be validated, and every person like you know wants their story told. Period. You know, if 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 those people's, if you ask someone that and they say they don't want their story told, they're lying. Everyone wants their story told. All right, all right. I don't want to enter a big debate ab around this, no. but don't you <laughs> don't you. you don't you right. feel that uh, uh, one can be doing you yourself? 
can be doing the acting and any work involved with that just more mo more intrinsically motivated i mean just for the sake of it like a passion yeah but i don't think yes that anyone no. like you know I, well 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 not to get into a debate but like i don't think that anyone does anything just for the sake of it you know i, I you know um so my dearest friends are actors right and um some of them work a lot Some of them don't work a lot, but like, you know, each, each, each week they like, you know, they go to acting classes and they're working on their chops. So like, you know, so like, you know, that's, 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 that's beyond passion. You know, that's the, like, it's a calling acting to me. Acting is a calling to me. Writing is a calling, you know, to me, boxing is a calling. People are called to it, but like, you know, just because you're called to it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. You know, and like, you know, just because you're called to it, it doesn't mean you're going to get the opportunities to like, you know, express what you have to express. It's a gamble. Life is a gamble. And I'm willing to pay those prices. I don't know, like, you know, if I'm going to be, like, you know, hired for an acting job tomorrow. I don't know. I'm going to keep studying, though. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep studying the craft. So it's a that's call for, for what? Yeah, that's the question. Because it's, uh, a calling, it's a calling to express my own unique self. And, like, you know, expressing. More and, more. Yeah, and getting right. better in and acting itself. That's right. Mm -hmm. And, and. If I can, if I'm lucky enough to like, you know, have the opportunity to like express something, you can, you can believe that the person who's watching it, like who could be in China or who can be in Australia, they'll relate to it because fighting and acting are two of the most relatable um, activities we can like be involved with. Who doesn't love like, you know, who doesn't like to watch a good fight or a good movie because it moves us. It helps us to like, you know, move through our own like, you know, experiences or accept our own experience. You know what uh, my acting coach used to always say, we watch good material or good programs or good theater, but we experience good material or good programs and good theater. The reason why like, you know, you were, um, you were, uh, the reason why people like, you know, hook to a certain film is because they're experiencing yeah, yeah, what the yeah, actors yeah. are doing. Yeah. They experience that. Yeah. It's the difference of uh, watching something merely by watching or being engaged with it, that's having exact, some empathy with what's there happening. There we go. Yeah, that's right. Good that's point. right. That's Good it. Point. That's it. No, like you know, that's not me. That's my acting coach. That's not me. Yeah, <laughs> that's Rick Edelstein. But it's, yeah, it stayed with you. <laughs> oh, oh, profoundly, man. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yep. So it's yours also. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I if I could, if I had to move to like you know overseas and like you know be a uh, a theater director or an actor who would like work in a small theater i would do it in a heartbeat so good we are getting to the end of this and i would like to combine a quote that you say in the last minutes of the episode uh, from miles davis sometimes it takes a long time to learn how to play like yourself and you then say i'm always chasing who am i and that's okay And this, I, I get the sense that pretty much connects with your passion, with acting. And so I like your thoughts to unravel this and giving us a more contrast between actors and boxers. And why do you love that creativity side and all that wisdom? Go ahead. I think boxing is a gateway to acting. Boxing is a gateway to acting. I think so. I think so. Like, you know, the more, like, you know, I've been an actor for like 
almost 25 years, man. Like, you know, and the same mechanisms that drive the boxer, the fighter, drives the actor. Commitment, passion, being unapologetically honest. Because when you're in a boxing ring and you're punching somebody in the face, that's, that's being primarily honest. When you're on set or on stage, you're telling a woman like, you know, that you hate her, um, or you're telling your father uh, as a character who you love, that you hate him or you love him, that's primal stuff, man. You can't relate to that. That's why, like, you know, theater and films and books are so, like, you know, are so gripping because, like, you know, everyone who's reading those books or, or, or watching theater or watching a film, they're, they're, they're um, experiencing themselves. They're gripped by it. Yeah, smart to make a contrast. The actors, as you say, look more inwards. Many times they are doing Bam. the same internal thing as boxers, as you are saying, but the boxers go more outwards and don't recognize some uh, internal process. There we go. Uh -huh. That's a very good point. Um, uh, if, a boxer, if a boxer recognized what he was at effect of, he wouldn't box anymore. But the actor's job is to be in recognition of what he or she is at effect of. Is to be like, you know, is to be open to like, you know, an embracing of like, you know, um, the way mom and dad talked to them or the way mom and dad treated them. Because like, you know, when you have those kinds of, of, of experiences as an actor and you have a character, lucky enough to like, you know, play a character with those same experiences, mm -hmm. it's gold, man. Yeah. You no, know, there's one actress, um, Ellen Bernstein. Are you familiar with her? Ellen Bernstein? I guess not. She, she's a brilliant a brilliant actress, man, and um, she's one of the people I've always admired because, like, you know, uh, she wrote a book. Uh, my book is called uh, Lessons on Being Myself, and it's astounding, man. She, like, you know, digs into all of her background, like, you know, how she became an actor. She was a model person, like, from Detroit, and um, her and her father had conflicts, and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, and how she overcame those conflicts were, like, you know, was completely because of her drive to be herself. You know, uh, I'm not going to go into it, but like, you know, it's a, it's a staggering piece of material, man. That's a big thing. And that prompts me to ask you, how do you see nowadays the boxing world? And uh, I know you've said before you, you commented boxing more as a way of survival more than a sport yes. per se. And uh, I want to hear more of your thoughts on it and uh, how would you like to approach athletes, boxers? What would you like to transmit to them for a more healthy being? I think um, boxers, uh, we, can't, we can't allow ourselves to, um, well, they can't allow themselves to uh, get stuck in a box. But like, you know, no one's going to talk about the kind of things that we talk about to box. Very rarely, very rarely is a box going like, you know, running to a mind like Georgie Bet or Emmanuel Stewart. You know, very rarely is a boxer going to, like, you know, have the good fortune to run into, like, you know, that uh, that sports psychologist, Victor, who I ran into as an amateur boxer in Colorado Springs. You know, um, so if a boxer takes anything from this, it's it's like, you know, know why you're doing it. Know who you're doing it for. And come to terms with it. Because, like, you know, nine times out of ten, the person who you're doing it for isn't yourself. But if it is yourself, good for you. Yeah. Man, before my last question, this might seem too cheesy to ask, but what is the secret for your perseverance? What explains your perseverance? Uh, my ambition and my arrogance, man. 
<laughs> my ambition, my arrogance, and um, uh, my luck at being my luck at having allies. Now I have like you know, I have countless allies, man, and um, though they may not look like me, they understand me, and they they respect me and, and honor me, and I honor them. You know, it's like, you know, just because, like, you know, someone doesn't look like you, it doesn't mean, like, you know, they can't open doors to you, they can shepherd your, like, you know, your your ascent uh, to where you want to go. I'm big on allies. So and I have, like, yeah. you know, 10, 15 allies, like, you know, who I keep on my speed dial. And, then, and from time to time, I'll check in with them. Yeah. And because that, I need their, like, yeah. Let me stop there because I think that's a small, that can be turned into a big lesson. Because it's uh, like a precondition. Because many times people yes. can look at other ones as uh, very different, and uh, so we cannot gain anything from them, and we have to be far from them. But yeah, we can connect with them. They can uh, provide right. us with something. And uh, yeah, nowadays with uh, with our world uh, division there in America, uh, I think that's a big thing to to transmit uh, overall and uh, primor a primordial thing, uh, openness to that opportunity of uh, connecting with someone that can be seen as different, but we we can learn with anyone, anything, uh, maybe even if we are not getting it consciously. Right, right. One last comment. I think like, you know, what holds us back like us, like you being human beings is like, you know, we're afraid of like rejection. And like, you know, the only way that I survive in both boxing and, and in my uh, current uh, occupation, man, like, is not to be afraid of rejection. I don't like being afraid, like, you know, I don't like uh, being rejected, but you know, that's a part of life. You're going to get rejected by a woman, by a man, by a producer, by a director, by an acting coach, by a teacher, by mom and dad you know that's where it is so do you think that uh, embracing that uh, fear of rejection was a thing that got you more mature absolutely it's a gift absolutely i have to also mention like you know um i don't learn how to embrace rejection without having those mentors in boxing and in acting and those allies unless like you know i have a, a conversation with them like because like you know i didn't like you know i didn't come up with the stuff by myself like you know, that was gifted to me by those allies in those worlds who loved it, me it starts again it starts by opening ourselves to the opportunity of entering those other person's worlds and uh, instead of entering that tendency of avoidance just give it an yes. opportunity man. That, ooh, wow you said avoidance is that what you said yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen that's it that's that's a, the turning point yes yes but avoidance is a term that's widely used in like you know acting workshops avoidance and every character like you know is at effect of something every character is avoiding something every actor is avoiding something avoidance man that's big bro that's big that's big as something in the acting world or any other performance area i guess or any interpersonal matters like some well, blockings in some there we are yeah there we are there we are there we are you could like shift that over to the to the, the boxing world you know most boxers like you know um aren't cognizant of what they're at effect of 
And if like, you know, and they avoid that, but yet and still that drives them because subconsciously they know what, like, you know, what they had affect them, but they can't admit it. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, sorry, repeat again. Effective. Is yeah, that no, no. What you're saying? They're, they're most boxes are they are not aware of what they're at effect of. Okay. What's affecting them, which is another way of saying what what they're at effect of. Mm -hmm. We can't admit that as a boxer. Mm -hmm. As a boxer, like, you know, I'm not having this conversation with you. Because like, you know, I don't want to like, you know, uh reveal my vulnerabilities or my lacks, my shortcomings, or my like uh uh insecurities or anxieties. I can't like I can't admit that. But as a guy who's 55 years old, um, and out of out of the boxing game, I can admit that because I've done the work on myself, and I know what other boxers go through and experience. So good. It's a hard process, but I I hope that this whole conversation get people inspired to open doors and look to some of these things. And just prompting you to my last question one that I like to ask all participants is what do you think is the number one overall ingredient to efficiently work one's sports practice? Uh, this is going to be something that may turn a lot of people off, but like, you know, the athlete at any level, any successful athlete at any level has to have that gene of selfishness. And once again, selfishness simply means a sense of self. You know, society like you know has this weird thing about being selfish. No, no, no. An athlete has to be selfish. Muhammad Ali was selfish, in the right spirit. Michael Jordan was selfish. Uh, what's the tennis player? Um, Sabrina Williams was it Sabrina Ser Williams? Ser no. Serena. Serena. <laughs> Serena Williams. She's selfish, man. We have to be selfish. Like you know, and like every actor, like every great actor is selfish. Marlon Brando's selfish. Robert De Niro's selfish. In the right spirit. And just to clarify, it's not by having that selfishness type that we are not kind and good for others and exactly. paying attention to the needs That's of right. others. It's just That's like right. that priority to look at our interests and our needs and get them satisfied yes. and propelling Bam. ourselves to our best performances in this case yeah but there to live go. accordingly aligned with our values and what we want to manifest right that's perfect that's well said bro i couldn't have said it better myself yes that's it you nailed cool it. that's it thank you that's it my and pleasure man that's it that's it thank you very much and i hope you continue in your acting world and uh helping many actors, many athletes, and whatever you came across with. Thank you, my friend. Regards to you. Thank you for listening to this EWS interview. To see more, go to ewsport.eu. If you want to open up a discussion about some topic address, reach out by commenting below or leave a message at ewsport.eu. Hope you enjoyed. See you on the next one. I remind you that you can write a comment right there on some podcast apps, on our Instagram at ewsport.eu, 
or even by sending a quick voice message on the clickable link I leave right at the end of this episode description. If you prefer to stay anonymous, this is a good option. All simple and free. So take the time to do so, and take a step to be closer of efficiently work your sports practice. Until then, take care.